All right, hello. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent, where a, a musician, my friend, and I always, I gesture because I'm looking at you there, but I'm going to guess that you're over there when it pops up. We're a musician <laughs> and a comedian of different races uh, discuss uh, shit, anything and everything that pops into our head. Is that how we do this? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Ooh, car horn. All right, yeah. uh, lots to talk about today. I had something interesting happen yesterday that, not interesting, but something expected happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. And uh, I texted it to you and said, yeah, let's talk about it. So you are a musician. I am a comedian. Mm -hmm. We are both what would be called unknowns, not famous. Um, doesn't mean we're bad at what we do. I prefer almost famous, but there you continue. Go. Awesome. <laughs> Such a good goddamn movie. <laughs> um, so I have finished my book and it's coming out in two weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. you've known about it. I may have mentioned it on here. I wrote a book. Uh, it's my fourth book. It's my first work of fiction. And yesterday I sat down and started contacting, I live in Iowa. I started contacting little tiny media outlets, little tiny Iowa media outlets, not the Washington post, not the New York times, just little tiny Iowa newspapers. And, um, had two interesting responses. I have three. I, con I contacted three. One guy wrote back and said, awesome. Let's talk about this. I want to get something in, in print for you. And we're going to meet next Monday and, and have a conversation. And that's great. Mm -hmm. um, another reporter wrote back and said, that's awesome. I love helping out unknowns. Unfortunately, I have to run it by my editor. And my editor doesn't like writing about unknowns because they don't get the clicks we need to survive. And I get that. This, what I'm about to say is I see both sides of the story. And then one wrote back and said, uh, we generally don't do unknowns, but send me, you know, your book and I'll take a look at it. And it's a maybe at best. And so, th so I have two thoughts. As I said, I can see both sides of the story. Yeah, nobody knows who I am. That said, um, you need content every day with the newspaper. Every day you need a little story. I mean, I, I couldn't be that. But more importantly, the thing I wanted to get into was the validation of the art world. We live in a country of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know, you, you, you work hard and get yourself out there and wait for something to happen. But in our respective industries, in music, in comedy, and, and in art, in poetry, you cannot self-promote. You just can't because nobody cares what you need in this industry. And that's where managers and agents and other people come in is someone on your behalf to say, no, no, I trust him. You trust me. Come on. This guy's great because I've had it happen before where if I walk up to someone and say, look, I can get the job done. You put me on stage. I will make people laugh. And they go, mm, I don't know. I've heard that a lot. But then if an outside source says, hey, you, I, this guy. You, you got to assign him or you, you need to hire him. They're like, this guy. Yeah. Why, why we need to use him. So what are your thoughts? Just using that as a starting point. Hmm. I mean, I agree with what you're saying and I disagree. Okay. Particularly in the music world. Right. I don't know how it works in, in your world, but there's always the, Ani DeFranco's, right? Who's the, what's the chance the rapper, you know? Well, I'm not saying it can't be done, 
because it can be like, well, here, let me, let me, let me shit on my own point. Everybody a few years ago, five years ago, before he was maligned for being a creep, thought Louis C.K. was amazing when he decided to self-release his own special. He said, uh, fuck Hollywood. I am going to put it on my website and charge five bucks. I'm going to pay for it. I'm ever like, wow, is this the new paradigm? But he's Louis C.K. The same time that happened, I was sending my latest album off to comedy record albums, labels and saying, hey, you interested in this? And they're like, I don't know who's referring you because for me to sell it myself, they're like, well, you can't get picked up by a label. It's like, if you're famous and you do it yourself, well, then you're a hero. But if you're a nobody and you do it yourself, well, why isn't anybody taking a chance on you? So yeah, you're right. The Ani DeFranco's, there is something about having a hit single. You, you get a hit single out there or not even a hit, just something people listen to. But then again, would you say that Ani DeFranco's is as big as Britney Spears? No. No, but I wonder, maybe Britney Spears not so much, but if Ani runs her own thing and she has a staff that is reasonable, I wonder if her take home at the end of the year at her height was probably equivalent to somebody who was significantly more famous than her, like their take home the at Prince the end story. of the year. You know what I mean? It's the Prince story. You know that, right? Yeah. Tell me Prince, that's when he changed his name from Prince to a symbol and wrote slave on his cheek because he yeah. talked to Ani and he said, how much money do you make per album? She said, I don't know, three bucks. And he said, I make a dime because Warner Brothers took it all. Whereas right. she controlled her own destiny. Right. Like but she right. slogged for years on the road playing Absolutely. the same towns you and I are. It's, it's not easy. It can be done. I'm just, yeah. so I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it is easier if you get someone in your back corner to say, hey, check this guy out. It's, it's. Absolutely. Nobody likes an unknown. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I discovery, agree. but nobody's interested in discovery in the comedy world. Um, if you have the words as seen on in your credits, a comedy club will book you infinitely faster than if you've been on the road 15, 20 years honing your craft and, you know, are able to take on any audience. You can be doing com I've seen it happen a million times where a comedian in LA just got lucky and got a six minute set. That was a good six minute set on whatever late night program. And then the comedy club says, Ooh, we need to headline you but all they had was that six minutes and they fail, but the comedy club doesn't learn. Then the next time it happens, they book that com you know, like they, they go through this re repeated pattern of, but these guys have been on TV and the audiences don't go home happy and they don't want to return, but yet the club won't take the chance on the person that has put in the time and effort because they haven't been seen on TV. It's, it's a very interesting, I don't want to call it a double-edged sword, but it's, it's no. an interesting pattern. But I understand what you're saying. And, and the funny thing is, I suppose, I was going to say you can't really fake comedy the way you can fake music, but maybe that's not true, right? Like, like in music, I know there are a lot of like famous people who get famous on any one of the number of platforms that people use these days, social media platforms and stuff like that. And they can't really sing so good. But a little bit of auto-tune, some vocal editing and some other stuff and somebody else writes the song and somebody else does this, somebody else does that. And all of a sudden you've got something that sounds like a hit. it's a hit, but that person was kind of edited into sounding like they're something. 
Right. You know what I mean? And then you can go do a gig where you can sing through an auto tune and have a well rehearsed band. And I mean, I did a church service where like in my ear, there's like, there's a thing that says intro, five, four, three, two, then the intro comes in. And then it says verse, five, or not even, it's verse, four, three, two, one, and then chorus. Like there's no way for you to make a mistake because right in your ear, they're telling you everything that's coming up next. And there's a person in the booth who can talk to you. Hey, you're being a little still. Can you move around a little bit? And like, they're just, you know, like wow. everything is just micromanaged. And so the audience doesn't know because you've got a little ear thing in and it wraps over your ear, then down the back of your shirt to some wireless thing and nobody knows. But like but there's all your this... monitor to them. Right. Yeah. Right. And and it's it's incredible. Like I was like, oh, this is how the big kids do it. Because my guess is, hold on. My Siri activated for some reason. Um, there go. That's what I do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I feel like if you're on the road with, let's say, who's a really big band these days? I, I don't know. Name some, but, all right. Let's say that like Maroon 5's bass I, player got Oddly sick. enough, that was the band I was going to spit out. I'm like, right. they just well, did there's no, There's no bands anymore. Right. <laughs> there's no people. bands anymore. His well, like, but even if there's like, who's like, let's say who doesn't matter. Let's say you're on the road with like, Brandy Carlisle or somebody. My guess is that in her in-ear monitors, it, there's the same shit going on. You know what I mean? It's like you see Sting in some of these live performances, and he's got one of those presidential teleprompters. It's like a piece of glass to us yeah. in the audience, <laughs> but to him, there's lyrics scrolling up it. You know what I mean, it's just like you know, the shit is so micromanaged. First one to bring lyrics on stage with them, but on just the the floor, you have the, the speaker monitor, and right next to it was yeah. the, the the scrolling the the lyrics yeah. for, for Mick. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know when you have hundreds of songs to pick from, it makes sense that like you just yeah. need to know some stuff. I I don't th I think in comedy you can get as far as somebody else writes your jokes. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, well, but like, can you, you, you made you me know. think of two thoughts of faking it. The famous one is Ashley Simpson on Saturday Night Live, where they played the wrong track. I mean, <laughs> you can absolutely fake it in music. You don't even need to have an in-ear monitor. You can just fake it. You for, yeah. for music videos, I don't know if people know, know this or not, but you can buy a drum set that doesn't make noise. It's like heavily padded so you can hit it, but it's not, you know, busting everybody's ears in the, in the, in the video room. So you can just bring one of those on stage. So yeah, it looks like you're playing and, and, but you could just have a, a track play everything for you. Yeah. And oh, yeah. with comedy, you can fake it simply by, you have to have charisma on stage, but you can just have, like you said, someone writing your jokes or you can just steal jokes. I watched a, a special, uh, not, not a TV special, but it's, uh, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus or the name of the company. But they're they're known for making videos go viral, and the guy's opening joke was something from the internet. It was literally something I've heard a thousand times that can't even mm -hmm. you can't even pretend that he took it and put his own twist on it. It's literally a take my wife please joke. <laughs> but the, the the company just like yeah that's fine. Put it on the special. Put it out there. Goes viral, and he can take that on stage wherever he goes. You can fake it in comedy. You, you can't fake charisma, but you don't need to write jokes as long as you can get the audience on your side. Well, 
let's 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 explore this for a minute because one of my good friends does uh, uh, smooth jazz, right? He does like an sounds like an oxymoron, but he does like aggressive smooth jazz, right? <laughs> like, I'd actually be interested in hearing that. I mean, I mean, it's more like it's not even like it's smooth jazz. What it really is is instrumental instrumental R&B with a funk edge. That's really what it is, right? But it falls under that smooth jazz category. And there was a time in my life where I was like, oh, this is what I should do. I'm getting at a certain age. I play bass. I don't sing. This is a door that's open for me, right? And I went down that road for a minute. I just wasn't into it. You know, I was into it enough but I couldn't really wrap my brain around the idea that I had gone to music school, I could do all this stuff, and I was gonna have to do this thing that felt like pandering to a degree. Mm-hmm. Now, in retrospect, that was my own shit. Do you know what I mean? Like plenty of amazing musicians play smooth jazz that are just fucking fantastic and they love every minute of it and when i talked to older musicians when smooth jazz first came out they thought it was going to be a legitimate arm of jazz like there's the outside jazz and there's bop jazz and there's the cool period they thought smooth jazz was just going to be this kind of other arm fall under the umbrella of real jazz and so if you listen to like grover washington jr and people like that this stuff is really killing right those are standards right in the jazz world even right But I feel like, I wonder, I wonder if not a little bit of pandering, but I wonder if, if the goal is to create, make followers and fans, right? Like fans really, not followers. Followers are cool, but fans are what you really need to drive a career. What do the fans want? And if the fans if your fans would like to be introduced to you through a boy, I just flew in from Iowa. Boy, my arms tired, and they all fell out laughing. Is that unreasonable for you to do to create a door? Like, all right, you might even remember this: "Rhythm of the Saints," Paul Simon. Yeah, yeah. I got really pissed off at that record because I felt like he was like exploiting all typical, you know, in my twenties, you know, whatever. He's exploiting black musicians and blah blah, right? You know, South and, time. What, right. The Brazilian was right, the black musician exploitation, but right. I mean, right. I mean, but you know, it, in at that time of my life, I thought that anybody who looked who was brown was black. I didn't understand that there was like That's how white people this, look at you know, all brown people, right? right. <laughs> but like, but like, but you know, like I kind That's of how the royals look at Archie, apparently. <laughs> exactly. Look at that little light skinned baby, he's black, right. But like, honestly, like I, I felt like the whole world had the race issues that this country has. And it, the whole world doesn't have. The whole world has their issues. You know what I mean? And people have their ways of dividing. But the race thing in this country is very, very specific in the way that it unfolds and the way it doesn't happen in other places. Right. Um, so here's and so I was talking about and I was kind of pissed off. And my dad said, well, son. There's certain people for whom if they listen to the real Brazilian music or the real African music, because Africa's a country, right? Not a continent. Um, right. He said, you know, I said, 
if they listen to the real version of that, it would be too much for them. And so what they need is a bridge to get them from this pop music that they like to this other thing. And in certain ways, Paul Simon creates this bridge where it's these kind of cool rhythms and cool harmonies with his kind of GCD and singing on top of it, which creates a bridge for people to then go into finding out, oh, this Lady Smith Black Mombasa, who are they? And oh, who are these people? And who are these people? And it creates that. And I wonder if that's not Re if that's not reasonable, like maybe that's reasonable. Like maybe it's reasonable to not use jokes off the internet, but to use jokes that would would allow for people to come through that joke into the door of what you feel, right? Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Or maybe it it's not true. I, I, I do don't know. If it, if it, okay. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but you tell me. I, I, I go to my last album where... I, I think I do put sort of like friendlier, like welcoming, I don't know, fart jokes, easy, easy, <laughs> easily digestible jokes, and then lead into something that might be a little more biting. Sometimes I do the reverse. Sometimes I will open with something that's really biting and sort of take an audience by surprise and then dial it back, you know, like, uh, you know, get into an ebb and flow to the mm -hmm. point where it's like, okay, now we're, you know, I, I've given a little shock, mm -hmm. like jumping into cold water. It's a little shock to the system, but here we go. Mm -hmm. I've done it both ways. Um, and that goes back to what I said earlier about having, being someone that's been on a lot of stages and knowing how to play with and manipulate an audience a little bit. And right. shit, that happened, what you're talking about happened two weeks ago. I, I'm working on my latest album. You have a copy of it. Uh, mm -hmm. You're helping me. Um, I recorded all weekend and my Friday show went so good. I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. I've got this one in my back pocket. So Friday late show, two shows Saturday. Wow. If they all go this good, it's going to be just out of this park. Saturday first show, I couldn't, I just had to give them what they wanted. I had, I had to speak at a much faster pace than I spoke on Friday. I had to... I couldn't take the time to set things up and bring them in. I tried and I'm like, they're not buying it. If I want to have a decent show, I still do my material. I still do things I've written. I'm still original, but I can't do it in the same way I presented to Friday's audience. I have to do it faster, harder, and more energetic. And it was a great show. But as far as an album goes, you can't have the first joke, like I'm speaking right now, with a pause and some laughter and then the second joke is like this, hey, what's going on? And here I'm talking like, boom, and it, like, it, it doesn't mix. So right. I, I don't know where, you, so yeah, I guess I, I, I hear you and it is okay to lead audiences to the place you wanna go, but sometimes the audience is in charge and they paid to see you. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm not sure this relates to what you said five minutes ago, but well, I'm saying that audiences are different and it is okay to, I it, what you said, it is okay to give them what they want Yes. If you're comfortable with it. I don't think I'd ever be comfortable with, uh, you know, like, oh, shit, I'm bombing. I heard this great joke Chappelle told. I better steal it. But I am okay with presenting myself in different formats. Oh, this audience wants it clean. They don't want the F-bomb. I can do that. Oh, this audience wants it dirty. They want some sex jokes. I can do that. But I wonder if it's not even about being safe. It's about being familiar, Right. And not about safety, but well, safety through familiarity, not safety through cleanliness, right? Like, 
I, I just feel use like that as an example, but I hear where you're coming right, from. Right, but right, but like like when I listen to Chappelle and then I listen to Bill Burr, there's a lot of the same premises that they that Bill Burr used that Chappelle used. He flipped the jokes and did them differently. I, it's unfortunate I can't remember them right now, but I feel like a lot of times people just they don't take the joke, they take the premise of a joke that is familiar. And then they re-spin it. They spin it in their own way. They make it their joke, right? And again, I don't live in the comedy world, but one of my friends, a producer, told me I had released a song uh, and I said, it sounds a bit like Al Green. He said, that's good. And I was like, what do you mean? It sounds like I totally ripped off Al Green and this party goes, and? And I was like... But I didn't. It's just what the song needed. He goes, and if it reminds people of Al Green and they like it and it conjures up these familiar feelings, is that bad? And, and if like, you don't get sued like uh, right. Robin Thicke's kid did for uh, right. Marvin Gaye, yeah. which I've listened yeah. to and I'm like, I don't see it. I mean, I it, mean, listen, it's I not as close so. as Vanilla Ice and Queen. That was all right. right. <laughs> <laughs> this is like uh, second cousins, probably. But like, I mean, I'll tell you, man, like I have played both of those songs. I've played them on gigs where we went from one into the other. They are similar. Yeah. But they're different. What they really are is vibe. And, and to be honest, they really did go in looking to create, recreate that song. It's not like that wasn't what they were trying to do. It's not like they didn't know. You know what well, I mean? They were just too close. If it only to defend him in court, he said that he was coked out of his mind and drunk. So <laughs> who knows if they There's were that. actively trying to do it or if just like, wow, this is fucking awesome. You know, like at 3 a.m. But it's like, I seriously doubt. Let's take John Mayer, right? John Mayer wrote a song that sounds remarkably like people get ready with the bridge to what's going on. Right. And he had Steve Jordan, Pino, I think it was Pino, but it was Steve Jordan, definitely. Now, Steve Jordan is a grown man. I know that when Steve Jordan heard that song, he went, that sounds like people get ready. And this sounds like Marvin Gaye, what's going on? And, and everybody went, great. You know what I mean? And that song on our hands. Exactly. That what song went on to be a hit because it was reminiscent of two other hits. It wasn't the same thing, but it definitely conjured up images of songs that we already knew to be hits. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Again, I don't know how that relates to comedy, you know, because I think when I listen to Bill Burr do something that I think is reminiscent of a Chappelle thing six months later. I go, mm. and when I hear John Mayer do something that is reminiscent of what somebody did 40 years ago, I go, hmm, all right. <laughs> you know, like maybe what you need to do is go, go steal, not steal, but borrow Lenny Bruce concepts <laughs> and do them. Because there's some things that are just so old that they're new. You know uh, I mean? Get arrested so and then read court transcripts on stage. Is that what you want me to do? <laughs> exactly. Well, not 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 to bring this around, but I think we've strayed. Um, uh, uh, I know we've strayed, but what, let, let's try mm -hmm. and get back because I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Or maybe maybe the discussion is dry. Maybe there's no point in going back. But the idea of the unknown musician, the unknown comedian, 
or is maybe that's what we're talking about is trying to be more familiar so that we do get recognized so we can break through. Uh, maybe that, maybe that is the tie because I... the, the brick wall of, so if I can't get through to an Iowa newspaper that, you know, what are the chances of, of breaking through to mainstream? Like, Hey, let's write about this guy who did this thing. It's, it's the, it's the, you, you can relate it in many different ways. We can't hire you because you don't have experience, but you can't get experience unless we hire you and or you have poor credit because you can't buy anything to get good credit. It's, it's, it's cyclical right. in every, every Absolutely. It's, it's the, yeah, it's just, I a, mean, just a fee in rock. Here's what I would say. I think you're right. I don't think though, but I don't think that they said no. What no. they said was send it to us, right? Yeah. So it has so to succeed on merit. Right. right, exactly, which, which I think is perfectly reasonable. What I would suggest is take reviews that you have from your comedy albums and from things like that and just plaster them all over what people are saying about Nathan Timmel. And just, you know, like when I, I mean, dude, I used you for a thing. I, I, in one of my first, like, what would be now archaic, it was like a one sheet, you know, like a little bio and yeah. quotes and shit like that. that people were saying when, you know, when I'd send stuff out to clubs and stuff and I would just make up the names of, you know, uh, rhythm methods, rhythm method magazine says Antar Goodman's bass playing is top notch. And Nathan Timmel from NTN Entertainment says he's one of the fav one of his favorite artists. And, and I literally just made shit up. Because, <laughs> right, right. I just made it up because I didn't have any real press, but the fake press that I made up gave me access to a couple college newspapers that then actually did some interviews. And then a couple like little college radio stations that did some stuff and played some music. And then I could take that stuff and I could pivot that into the next level and pivot that and just keep pivoting up, you know? And That's I kind of what I'm doing. When I, when I sent them the yeah. book, I sent it yesterday. I, I got, I finished the email. And I, I, as I wrote in the, the little note, I sent them like, hey, thanks for taking the time to look at this. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm a nobody author. That said, I've got three nonfiction books out that, while not bestsellers, have got some pretty decent reviews on Amazon if you want to look them up. I didn't put any quotes in the thing, but I did point out, no, this is not my first book. I have been right. plugging away at things. And the people that do discover me have enjoyed what they found. So yeah, I can't hurt. I mean, I do want to say one thing. I apologize. Uh, yeah. It is funny. I do agree. I should have to succeed on merit. I, nothing gets handed to you. That said, once you are famous, then you have a publicist and they all fall over themselves to write about your new album, no matter whether or not it sucks. It's like, oh, yes. you know, this band or this artist has something new coming out. Everybody go out and buy it. It's the whole, it's the Bruce Willis thing where he was promoting Die Hard 3 and he gave an interview with Playboy like, this is the best one since the original number two was sort of, you know, and then years later when he's promoting four or five, he goes, oh yeah, looking back on that three, the only thing good about it was the fact we got Sam Jackson. It's like, yeah, you sell it at the time, but you know, it's shit. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> oh, there's a cute scene, right? Where Sam Jackson's got the placard and somebody throws a knife in it because there's some dumb That's shit great. like that. My favorite scene, and I remember seeing it in a review, someone pointing it out, is when Bruce Willis walks into the bank and the terrorists have already taken it over. They're stealing the gold. 
and he's already beat to shit, but he walks in and for a quick second, he tries to button up his just dirty, beaten down, torn shirt. Like, oh, I'm walking in. It's just a nice little <laughs> quick moment. And I, I remember loving yeah. it. Like he's taking the moment just sort of like, oh shit, I'm in a nice area, even though he looks beat yeah. down. Yeah, I, I always love I'm a big Bruce Willis fan. I think those movies are completely absurd, but I love every one of them. <laughs> yeah. The one, the what's the one where he jumps the fucking car into the helicopter or some shit? Oh, four. So, I worked on that scene. Just, I was there so, that day. It's just such an awful, ridiculous movie. But, you know. Let me, let me, the quick I, side I story it. that no one will like. That was back yeah. when I lived in, in in Los Angeles and I worked behind the scenes. I was a represent. So they filmed that helicopter scene. First of all, there were several helicopters. One was suspended by a crane that you'd throw. But uh, so for the close-ups, it was called B-roll. Um, they did this thing where they, you can see it in the movie, um, start maybe at the front of the helicopter and quick zoom up to the guy with the gun. They did that for like 45 minutes to an hour and a half, something like somewhere in there. And I'm just watching on the monitor going, you know, you got this on the first take. You literally <laughs> got it on the first take. And then you see the movie. And yeah, it's like this quick zoom. You're like, why did you do that 75 times? You literally had it on the first take. But yeah, I, I worked on that scene and yeah, that specific that's moment awesome. in the film. <laughs> rented out. I mean, it's just it's just absurd, but it's awesome at the same time. I mean, I I. I I feel like this is the constant artist dilemma, right? Do you stand on your merit or do you stand on publicity? And I feel like for a long time, like first band I ever got in that had a, had a publicist is this woman, Azina Moore, right? I was touring with her and she had a publicist, like one of those you know, $10,000 a week or $10,000 a month publicist, but I think it was a week. Like it was something absurd. And God, as damn. a result of that, she got- 10,000 a month is absurd. Well, I know. It's, it's like, they, 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 well, to anybody that ha might be tuning in that really doesn't follow this shit, whenever you see a celebrity with, with whatever and not like, ooh, uh, this celebrity went to on vacation to Hawaii. That celebrity paid someone, said, hey, I'm going to Hawaii, get me in the press. It's this, none of it is accidental. None of it is, someone right. is out there working on the seats, contacting People Magazine saying, hey, my celebrity's going to Hawaii. You should do a story on it. You should do a story on it. You should put up a story like, oh, my, my celebrity's pregnant. They're expecting twins. Get, it's all manipulation. All of it. There, there's nothing accidental in the celebrity media world. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I feel like life is an acting gig. Sometimes, you know, it's it's a, like fake it till you make it, but it's kind of like more like act as if, you know. And I feel like there's there's a bunch of archetypes. Right, like in the Joseph Campbell sense, right? We have all these different kind of mythical, mythological archetypes, right? You've got the hero, you've got the crone, you've got this person, you've got the prince, the princess, right? Like all these fairy tales and myths and things, you go all around the world and they somehow follow the same kind of the same archetypes show up and the same hero's journey shows up and the same stuff. And you could argue in a modern sense, we've just been trained by seeing so much of that. But when you go back 5,000 years and you go to cultures that had no contact with each other 
and then you read their mythology and it's all relatively similar, I feel like there are certain archetypes that, that we like, that we gravitate towards. And I feel like from a publicity standpoint, it's useful to figure out which one you are closest to and capitalize on that. Like that might, and again, I make this shit up as I go along, but that oh, and, might and be And I interrupted you. You were talking about mm-hmm. the first person you knew, the publicist. Was that? Yeah, I'll get back to that okay. in a second. I didn't, actually, I, I didn't want to forget it's, that. It's, it's much less interesting. But, um, <laughs> but That's like, what I wonder. called this podcast. Instead of artificially intelligent, much less interesting. Well, we can rebrand it as that. It's a new rebrand. We can rebrand it again. Sure. <laughs> you know that but, normal uh, podcast you listen to? Well, this one's much less interesting. Right, exactly. <laughs> Actually, I like that. <laughs> but, like, I wonder if falling into, like, magnifying whatever character traits you have that fall into different vices, right? What are what are the seven common vices that people like? What are the this, right? Like vices what are the just categories? Because a vice is technically something bad. It's it's a habit. It or, is, but like if you're let's say for an for example, your comedy is like Pandora's box, right? Whenever somebody opens up, they're gonna find some shit in there that makes them think or does something in a Pandora's box kind of way. How many people aren't attracted to that, right? How many people aren't attracted to don't touch that? First thing they do is touch it, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, different. Not, when I say vices, I mean things like that. I don't mean like smoking or something like that. I mean like the what is smoking actually? Like not the act of it, but from a conceptual standpoint. Like, and what is your hero's journey? And how does that get told, right? What are the things you had to overcome? What are the biggest challenges? What are the dragons you had to slay? What is this thing, right? Like, and we can segue this into popular culture. Meghan Markle, right? She's I mean, a I've modern- ignored every single- I mean, as, as have I, honestly. But here's what I will say from an outside perspective, like not knowing what the fuck I am talking about in any way, shape, or form other than from a conceptual basis, here's what I'll say. Her story seems to be a modern-day Cinderella story, right? There's the quote-unquote evil stepsisters. There's the evil queen. There's the prince. She comes from humble beginnings, marries a prince, when in reality, she liberates him, not the other way around. Like he didn't save her. She might've saved him, which is actually kind of a funny, like, I feel like it's one of those things where we get what we want. It just doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. Cause that's a true fairy tale kind of right. And it's got all the right characters, just like the fairy tales do. Right. Again, the stepsisters, the evil queen, the this, the that, all these things. And it's like, oh, my God, it's just real life television. And there's a reason that it's so attractive to people, whether you're an I hate Megan or an I love Megan. It doesn't matter because it fits all the tropes that every fucking like princess movie has in it. It's got every one of them, probably. You know what I mean? And there's something about that that I think we find attractive. So I guess the question is, 
not that you're going to do a princess story, you know, <laughs> it'd just be kind of funny, but like, I could self-identify as one these days. I mean, you could, you could Don't absolutely be society. How dare you? Right. <laughs> but like, I wonder if there's a, the, the hero, there's a version of the hero's journey where your life and my life start to fit into that almost perfectly. And then you, you don't exploit that, but you push that or even exploit it, like whatever, you know what I mean? I don't know, exploit has such negative connotations to it. I say more like use it to your advantage. Magnify it. Right, because like everybody loves a rags to riches story. Everybody loves the underdog story. Everybody loves that. Like we love the the underdog team that comes up and takes the championship. Unfortunately, I'm a cisgender white male, so I am no longer an underdog, no matter what. <laughs> That's the thing is I've been branded. I'm not saying that by complaint. I'm just saying that by I it, mean, but maybe silly that then you just need to start. Maybe you just need to start appealing to the alt right. that 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 happens all too often where you take someone that is technically liberal or on the left or democrat and that's the problem with cancel culture these days is you do one quote wrong thing or that steps outside the norm and all that's left is the right then because the left will kick you out so quickly these days it's very interesting absolutely but go back to the publicist uh friend the 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 well all right, so I was in this band with a publicist. They got paid a whole lot of money, and they asked for a bunch of information about us, and we all gave it in, and then they gave us back our bios. And I was like, who the fuck is this? Hmm. I was like, I like this guy. I want to study with this guy. And I was like, you know, I was like, this is the guy I want to be my mentor. Like, what are you talking about? But, and then, and she got into a bunch of magazines they reviewed the record like and it was it was decent you know what i mean it was solid but like the amount of hoopla surrounding it and the things that were all of a sudden available to us through the publicity was astounding i would argue that like a couple just really shitty things happened in her life that like we had to cancel the tour and do a bunch of stuff and it's through no fault of her own but I could say that like that publicity was worth it's worth the money. Like if she just did it for fifty thousand dollars, whether that be five weeks or five months, that would have packed rooms, got reviewed. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of incredible what I saw, and I was like, "Oh, this is an acting gig, right? <laughs> it's yeah. it's 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 an acting gig." And for me, the hardest part that I have is getting over my preconceived notions. You know, I went to music school. I've been playing music since I was this age. I play so-and-so, I deserve, right? Once I put all that stuff to the side and I don't think about it, and I just think about what needs to be done, not what I think I deserve, but what actually needs to be done, I feel like, coming back to Andy DeFranco, you know, whatever doesn't, whatever doesn't bend breaks, you know what I mean? That's a line from one of her songs. Now mm-hmm. it's a line from a song that is from a, con- from a very, con- again, it's like, and I, again, I'll, I'll throw this out in the same way. I feel like when I listen to country music and most pop music, what they're doing, uh, Alanis Morissette, Head Over Feet, right? Super simple concept, 
super simple concept. Head over heels. We've all, I've fallen head over heels. She turns heels to feet. I've fallen head over feet and it's a hit song. Half the stuff I feel like is like common, like don't, don't, you know, count your chickens to all the eggs hatch. If you find a new clever way to say the same exact thing, make that a chorus, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden you're good. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's something about that that we like. You know who the best out there is at that? You know, the best? Taylor Swift. I don't know if it's her Absolutely. or her team. And I can only think of one example, but I know that she has tons of them because every time I hear one, I go, are you fucking kidding me? God damn it. I love that. But the only one I can think of off the top of my head is, I can't even think of the song, but at one point she says, uh, shit, what? I can't think of the song, but she, she, she says Starbucks lovers instead of star-crossed lovers. And I remember the first time I heard Starbucks lovers, I just went, are you fucking kidding me? That's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard because of what yeah. you just said, because it is Shakespearean. It is star-crossed lovers. It is Romeo and Juliet, but she says Starbucks and it's goddamn brilliant. And she does that. There are so many songs. Again, I can't think of them right now, but I know that every time I hear them, I go, that is such a goddamn unique turn of a phrase. Whoever she has writing her lyrics for her. Right. I mean, it's a unique turn of phrase about a song that is probably about the oldest story in the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what I mean, right? Like, we all love a Romeo and Juliet story. We all love it, which is partially what the Meghan Markle thing is in its own way, because there's this, uh, there's this imaginary divide between, between people of color and people not of color, right? Like, we won't specify, you know, Colors and crackers, <laughs> right? But, but you know what I mean. Like, like there's a thing there that when you see something like that, there are people who love that Romeo and Juliet thing, and they love that story. They they love it for that reason. There's people who see the Disney fairy tale aspect of it, the rags to riches thing, and they love that side of the story. There's other, but like, there's these super common tropes that show up in that story, even though that's really their life. It doesn't change the fact that these these tropes are super common, you know. And I feel like Taylor Swift is a great example. She takes these really common feelings and things that we all identify with. Some, and I'm not saying it's super easy. But it's like the head over feet thing, you know? It was easy. Every, everyone would do it. Right. Right. But I think that the, the, the complexity in it is that it's a lot simpler than we think. I think we have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Yeah. Because, like, honestly, now that I say it, what I really feel like I should buy is a book of famous sayings or super common sayings and quotes and just re rewrite them. Right. You know what I mean? But, like, there, there's plenty of things in which I review my lyrics for songs or whatever. Like Katie and I working on the new record. Actually, we're going into the studio beginning of May. I'm excited. Um, so, but some of the stuff like- People still go into studios? Don't everybody usually do on Pro Tools and on GarageBand and computers now? We could have done that. I, I think it's, this studio is going to get way better sounds than we're going to get. Okay. Like it's like we're going to record live. We're going to record like in the old school sense, like in a live room with a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player and nice. a dude playing a B3 nice. and hard. But you're going in with songs, right? Yeah. 
That was the mistake. Whenever I'd hear about a band going bankrupt or spending so much money, it's because they went into the studio and said, all right, let's write some songs. I'm like, or you could have continued being a garage band, writing all your songs at home and then spending the money to, to go record them. I, I wish, I wish I had a budget. I heard, I heard that Bruno Mars blocks out a studio for two years and then gets the team, gets his team, his A team together, and they just spend two years working on a record, revising and revising. They come up with a bunch of tunes and they revise. And I'm like, oh my God, the, the awesome. joy of being able to do that. I would love That's what you two and Peter Gabriel do, but that's why they also bought and built their own studios. Right. So it's just Absolutely. like they get up, they have breakfast, and then they go into the living room, which is, you know, a studio. It's, it's right. got everything. Yeah, a lot of bands yeah. did that too, like Van Halen. Yeah. First thing Absolutely. he did was build oh, God, yeah, that. Like, so that everything you record, Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl bought that old mixing board. Yeah, once you yeah. have a studio in your house, then that's different. But yeah, it's it's a yeah. matter of- But the idea of spending whatever, 500, yeah, Peppers did that once I read about it, where they just, they had Flea in one studio downtown and Anthony in another studio somewhere else. And then they'd send each other tapes and they were just like, oh, we're working on like, or, or, I mean, I know it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy. They, they put out, you know, some really good music at times, but at the same time, why spend $2 million when you can spend 250,000? That's just me. But maybe once you have, you know, 25 million in the bank, what do you care at that point? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I, I, I don't even know I, I what we're to. talking about other than you and Katie going. Oh, to oh we're talking about buying the a book. lyrics. Right. right. One of the things that I recognize is that when I review all the lyrics, the ones that seem to jump out are ones that take common ideas and flip them on their head a little bit, you know? And I don't want to give any of the, the brilliance away, you know? <laughs> but like, they're just things that like, you know, you take, I'll, I'll try to make something up on the spot. You know what I mean? Like I got blindsided because I didn't look both ways or something, right? It's like you take this super common idea, look both ways before you cross the street or else something bad will happen. And so you have your hook is next time I'll know I should look both ways or something. I don't know, right? I'm, again, I'm just making this shit up. But I feel You're like bad. it's... But it's that kind of stuff, right? It's like taking these super common ideas that we've been hearing since we were children and just flipping them on their head a little bit. And that I think ties back to what we would call that familiarity, right? And I don't say this to say to you that you're doing something wrong because I think many of your jokes fall into that category. I would wonder though, if you took those jokes and put them first, right? Not necessarily the safe ones, the ones that take premises that everybody feels, right? And it's particularly stuff that everybody feels that they're not willing to admit, right? <laughs> you know I mean? did, I, did I, when I sent you the track for the current album, did I cut off the beginning where I talk about uh, uh, don't be David, be Billy? No. You have that? Yes, I can okay. pull it. Because I'm thinking of leaving that off this album. That I'm thinking of the next one because I think that's a little edgy and I'm, it, it leads into anger and, and I'm fine with that. But I'm trying to make this one fairly saccharine because I have it. But it's yes. It's, but you can hear how those two got a response because it was like, absolutely, it really fired the audience up. 
because it it was me saying what people are thinking and they responded and that helped me through the rest of that set. Now, those same things on the next night, Saturday did not help. That was actually, that was the show when the guy was yelling that we talked about last week, where are the jokes? And I'm like, fuck face, shut up and listen. (laughs) Has nobody ever seen like, Comedy comedian destroys hecklers. Hecklers get destroyed at comedy club. Has nobody seen these? Like, like, why would you ever argue with somebody who has a microphone and is a professional? Like, why would you do that? Like, even if they're bad, you're alcohol or ego. I have no idea. Yeah, one of the most depressing things I ever heard. It was a guy came up to me after a show, and it was where I, I I. I got into it with a heckler and they left or got thrown out. This was years and years ago. This guy comes up to me after a show. He's like, dude, that was so awesome, man. I was watching heckler videos all day thinking, man, I hope this happens tonight. And it did. And I'm like, <laughs> you didn't come to have a good time and listen to some original jokes. You wanted to see a, and then, well, I'm glad I was able to make you oh. happy. The guy yelled something fucking stupid and I yelled back at him. But do you uh do you like Andrew? Don't like that, except for one. There's one comedian yeah. who's known for heckler videos, but he put he plants it and manipulates and edits, and it's well known inside the industry that it's all. I was gonna say, do you like Andrew Schultz? Do you like him? Oh, Andrew Schultz. Okay, <laughs> he's a comedian that like over the pandemic kind of blew up because over the pandemic he started releasing videos on YouTube with a bunch of stuff like that. Heckler videos of just compilations of him just wrecking hecklers and then compilations of just little short bits of his jokes. And then he parlayed that into a podcast that mm-hmm. now is like, it was just like a, and I don't know if it was strategic or accidental, right? But whatever it is, it really worked for him. And I, there's something about, again, there's something about that. Like we like people standing up to bullies. Oh, and I'm guilty. Again, something what, about I, that that we love, you know? I don't look for it because I don't like it, but I do have three or four, two or three or four videos on YouTube that have done okay that I, when, when I had a heckler and I went after him, I'm guilty of it. I put it on YouTube like, ooh, I had a heckler and I beat the shit out of him and, and it worked, but they never blew up like, and, and maybe it's because I didn't have enough of them. Like maybe if I were production line, like, okay, I got to have another bit, but I'm, again, that, this could be my ego getting in the way. I don't want to be known as the guy that gets into it with the audience. It's because we don't want it. Most comedians don't. I mean, I think that takes a special, I don't know. Maybe it is. But, maybe it's the idea. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess it's like one of those things where I would wonder, because again, this is something I struggled with up until recently with like, when we're out with Katie, I take all these mistakes that I made and I'm like, let me just rethink this. Right. You need somebody in the audience who's going to yell encore, encore, one more song if nobody does it, right? You need somebody to start it. So you tell your buddy, hey, we're going to do our last song. We'd like to do this encore song. And then we'd like to do two more songs after this. If when we stop, nobody says one more song or encore or where are you going? I need you to do that. Because once one person does it, everybody goes, yeah, one more song. Come on, you got to do it. And that's all you need. Right. And it's like, I don't think that that's terrible. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do. And again, this is my ego getting in the way of my success. That would be Andy Kaufman's Tony Clifton. You know, I I don't Mm -hmm. need a Tony Clifton in the audience 
because again, there, there's a guy out there who I'm not going to name who is known as doing this. He, he finds uh, either, he either plants someone. It was funny. This was on Facebook. Uh, he, he made a comment on a comedy club page, page like, Hey, what does it take to get booked there? And the comedy club owner said, uh, just for you or for you and your heckler, your plant. <laughs> and, That's awesome. <laughs> Most people don't know that. So they just see these heckler destroys comedians. And it's either if, if he doesn't have someone in the audience, what he does is he starts something with the audience and then mm -hmm. edits it out to the point where they look stupid. And, you know, like he'll get into a, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue's a fucking stupid color. Why would you like blue? I hate fucking blue. And then the person yells out, fuck you. And then he cuts to there. It was like, why you don't fuck you at me? And then it's like heckler. And it's all <laughs> fake. But man, I people retweet him. It's like he's he's got a very big... But then it goes to this. Yes, he is popular, but he's not respected. Like people that know who he is aren't booking him, as I said, on merit. And, oh, this goes, okay, so let, let's go all the way back to the beginning before we wrap up. I wrote something that I'm going to post next week. And mm -hmm. I, have a, I have a friend who put me in a Facebook group for self-published authors. And all they do is market. They talk about keywords and all they do is, and they, they talk about vomiting up. Oh, I wrote 10,000 words last night. Oh, I wrote my entire book in 24 hours. And I, and I, and they do these keywords to try and trick into getting number one books because they say, as I, and what I wrote is that if you put in a left-handed Eskimo dentist in your book, a character, then you tag left-handed Eskimo dentist and then you have the number one book about left-handed Eskimo dentists, not because there I are think they're called Inuits now. That's, I put that in there. Too. <laughs> I'm then I get canceled for using the word Eskimo. I mean, oh, I call myself out in, in the, <laughs> the whole point is I, I get it. I get how important it is to do that. But at the same time, and again, it's my ego. And maybe this will be the sword I die on. And maybe I will look back at the end of my life and go, fuck, I did it all wrong. I want to succeed on merit. I want the guns and roses outcome. And what I explain is people forget that appetite for destruction flopped. It was a failure. It hit number one a year after it was released because they had to beg. They're the first single out of the bag. It debuted at 182 and fell out of the top 200 and nobody was listening to it and nobody was playing it. And the GM, David Geffen was willing to walk away from it. He's like, oh, it's a wash, get, get rid of it. But the GM of, of Geffen called MTV and begged them, please play uh, um, Welcome to the Jungle for three days. And after three days, if nobody likes it, walk away. And they played it for three days and it became the most requested video. And then over months, over months, over one year after release, it became number one. And I'm not saying I want my book to be number one. I know I'm not gonna be Guns N' Roses, but, but that goes back to they had someone pushing them. It's, this is all intertwined. It, it's, it's all a big mess. And I think in the end, and I don't know, maybe I'm deaf, maybe I'm tone deaf, and I should take everything you've said and absorb it and do it. I, maybe in the end, it's just crossed fingers and luck. I have no fucking clue. Well, to come semi-full circle, I feel like what used to be a vanity label for musicians are now actually labels, right? Mm -hmm. Because in a world in which having a major record deal, while it would be great, with social media, all the books out there, all the independent 
men managers who are good or radio people like the gatekeepers are coming down at least in the music world the gatekeepers are coming down the gatekeepers to like you know number one billboard songs and stuff eh, maybe not so much but the gatekeepers that stop you from having a legitimate career having a hundred thousand fans selling selling records regularly and really yeah. doing a thing those gatekeepers are gone because we all have access to the computers which means that like <clears throat> the radio person will take your money just as soon as they'll take the record company's money if you got it do you know what i mean like if you got the, the money to pay you can just pay them they're not exclusive anymore and you can find some young hungry people but i think that like i think that there's something to be said for that I, I will say this. I I wonder if making it on merit is a lie. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's what we're all told. And we're all told that that's what everybody did. And we're all told that that's the truth. And everybody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. But half the people who say they pull themselves up by their bootstraps or they live off their grandparents' inheritance because their grandparents did some dirty, devious shit, got their hands dirty, made a fortune, and now all these people running around acting like they they did this with their hard work. And that's 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 a lot of people. Like, it's not even like when they say being born on third and thinking you hit a triple. It's like, I feel like there is some work that must be done, right? But what gets you in the room might not be your merit. What keeps you in the room is your merit. What gets you in the room is people's impression of you. That makes sense. Do you know what I mean? And again, I'm making this shit up. What I've used is luck gets you, cracks the door, talent gets you through it. And I'll tell one quick story and then we'll sign off. I I, I know a comic and I gotta phrase this correctly. I don't wanna throw it, that absolutely got lucky. I mean, literally uh, went to Hollywood, went to an open mic, uh, went back a couple of times. Someone in the club liked him. So they spent, I think I told you the story. They spent all their time um, saying, okay, you're going to come in on the Tuesday off night and do the open mic, you know, the last 20 minutes, the, the last comic 20 minutes. And then that person at the club spent all day Monday calling, you know, like, hey, uh, free tickets Tuesday night. You got to come out Tuesday night. And then Tuesday night became sort of like this popular night. And then like people started hearing about it, like, who's this fucking guy? Why is this club always crowded? It wasn't always crowded because he was there. It was, but not because of him. It was not the audience because of him, but because one person at the club liked him. And because all the managers were like, fuck, you know, like shit, we, we got to get this guy. He's packing this room. And then they bought him and they're like, what do we do with him? I don't know. Let's put out a special. And then they realized nobody knows who this comic is. It was just one guy at a club. So they're like, well, we've got him. And I read an article like I can't believe this made it out there. Like I knew all this from behind the scenes, but they they go to film his special and they had to go out on the street giving away tickets like get inside tonight. Free show. We need to make this theater look good. And today he's legit, legit. Like today he is legit famous. All from nothing all from one person at a club liked him and said, I'm going to fill the house when you're here on Tuesdays. And that set off everything else. Yeah. Luck, it's <clears throat> to tell you make it. It's all, I mean, but his talent kept him in the game. The talent kept it because. Absolutely. 
I mean, I think that that's true. I think I would say that it's luck and also Jesus and also Jesus. I, I, I was going to say Buddha, but, you know, Jesus is fine. Fuck that. Fact. I mean, I think it's I, I think it's luck, but I, I, I asked. What is that? I said, fuck that fat fuck. Oh, shit. Fat shaming. I've just been canceled. We hadn't been canceled yet on this week pod, this week's podcast, so I had to say something. because. Oh, God. Dude, yeah, just a whatever, quick tangent. I was going through a bunch of lyrics the other day, and I found some shit I'd written, like, last year. And it was something like, I don't even remember the exact line, but it was, like, something to the effect of, I, I must have been blind or something. And then I changed that to, I guess I couldn't see it. And then in parentheses, I, I went, fucking liberals. <laughs> like, I remember writing the line, rewriting it, and then being so fucking pissed off, like, fucking liberals. <laughs> I can't say what I want to say because I will get canceled. <laughs> right. I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> I just, it's just like, oh my God. They are the worst. They, oh my God. Who would have thought that the, that the liberals would be the fascist fuckheads of our generation? Who would have thought that? Okay, let's talk about that next week. Digest this. Let's sign off. This is what I realized. We, we've talked about this in the past. That So it makes sense that it's happening today. Because when we were growing up, it was all about cancel heavy metal, freedom fries, um, cancel, <laughs> Head, cancel South Park, even Bart Simpson got it. You're like, all we saw was the right. So that generation is old enough now to where they raise their kids. That is, if you don't like it, cancel it. And it's just come full circle. So who would have thought it? Absolutely. Was paying attention. <clears throat> you do what you are taught. And it's just it, the, the common phrase, chickens coming home to roost. It's just all it did was flip. It went from Republicans canceling everything they didn't like to now liberals are doing it because that's what they learned growing up. It's insane. Let's not talk about it today. My friend. But let's definitely talk about that next week because I have a lot to say about that because I think you're right. And I think it goes back to the inception of this country and the way they cancel people who want things. And then this is literally just the natural outgrowth of what happens when you do that. It's just different. It's like you say, it's familiarity. That's the full circle. It's familiarity. We're we're familiar with cancel culture. We just pretend that it's different today because it's just taken a new path is all. All right. Yeah. Good to see your face. Yeah, you too, man. Nathan timmel.com i said i wrote the book uh, it's called we are 100 we can talk about it more next week it good comes- book man i read it it's some solid shit man really like it's good shit i'll throw a cover up right now uh but yeah yes. it'll be available on amazon all right thanks yeah. for tuning in anyone and everyone yeah yeah both of you <laughs> Michael all right, and uh jackie the, the two exactly <laughs> cool all right man i'll talk to you in a minute yeah yeah all right see you <laughs>